Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Creatives of Windsor podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Sherdown, and today I'm sitting down with Christina Bratt, local artist, curator of Tiny Art Vending Machine, and she also does prep at Art Windsor Essex. Christina, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is very cool. Cool. I'm glad you like it. Uh, I'm glad this is your first podcast. Yes. That's super cool. So um, I guess what I wanted to start with was how did you get into art, your personal work? Oh my goodness. Okay. That's a big question. Um, I would say I've always been interested in art since I was a kid. Um, I was kind of torn between art and music. I was a band kid, grew up in band, concert band, stage band, all of that stuff at my school. And I grew up in Essex. Um, I played the trumpet for a long time. I played the drums for a while. Uh, I always thought it'd be fun to like sing and be my own band at some point. That dream never happened, but I still had a lot of fun doing that. But ultimately, at the end of high school, I also really enjoyed visual arts. So took as many photography classes as I could, as many painting classes as I could, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then I just had really great high school teachers that encouraged me and I pursued it in post-secondary as well. Cool. Um, so you were music first. Um, what was, what did you do when you got into more visual art? Like what medium did you do first? Um, I always thought I would be a painter. So I think I started with painting a lot. However, I experimented a lot in high school with different things. Uh, I did some like mosaic and tile work stuff that I thought was really cool and a little bit of drawing too. I think everyone always started with like a pack of crayons or a pack of pencil crayons as well. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's a fun thing too. So were you, so I know you were in music at school. Have you ever been in a band like outside of school? No, I feel like that was always the dream. And I still like, I, I love going to shows and I love Broadway plays and things like that. So you never know, that would be something cool to do down the, down the line. But I did play in uh, high school talent shows just with friends and stuff for fun. So that's always been a nice side side thing. That's cool. Uh, what did you do in post-secondary education? Did you go to school for art? Yes, I did. So I was in the visual arts program at University of Windsor. I graduated with my BFA in 2017. I started in that program thinking I'd be mostly like in, in painting and my my experience totally changed that. So I think I got to like second year and I took a lot of sculpture courses and that ended up being most of my, for my focus uh, for the rest of the time. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. So what, like, for right now, personal projects that you're working on in 2023, what medium is it? Like, what are you in right now? I'd say mostly what I've been working in lately is watercolor and printmaking. Uh, printmaking is something I learned a lot about when I did my BFA. It's something, uh, I only took one class, but they have a really great professor at U Windsor, Victor Romayo, and uh, he's a local artist here as well. And I was super influenced by printmaking. I think it's fun. It's something you can do as a visual artist, but it's something that you can do in like craft work as well. And a lot of people get into it in some way, shape or form if they're making stamps or lino blocks or uh, prints for like posters and different art projects like that. But I really love printmaking. And then watercolor is something I've always just done on my own and I'm always drawn to. That's cool. So printmaking, that's funny that you bring that up. So there's this photographer um, and he makes a lot of YouTube videos. His name is Brian bricks i think and he does this series where he goes and interviews local artists he puts a youtube together video together it's really nice um he picks all kinds of different mediums and he takes their portraits on film and he talks about them and one of my favorites that he's ever done was of a printmaker 
And a lot of the comments on the video were, wow, like I didn't really know what this was. Like I never really heard of this. And like my thoughts were the same as well. Um, I watched that video he made all the time. It's super cool. If you guys are listening, you should go check it out. Um, and I've, I still don't even exactly really know what it is. Can you explain it to me? Yeah, totally. So there's like a million different types of printmaking. Um, I'd say some of the most common ones are like lino block printing. So picture like a, a block of rubber of some sort. Sometimes it's soft, sometimes it's hard and you have like carving tools. So similar to if you were carving wood or something, you would carve into this piece of rubber uh, and then you can ink it up. There's all different types of ink. So similar to like, uh, screen printing, for example, you could use like an oil-based ink or something. You could use uh, printmaking for clothing, for uh, paper prints, for cards, for any sort of project. But ultimately, you come up with a design, you transfer it to the rubber block, you carve it out, and then you ink it up and you print it on whatever medium you see fit. So a lot of what I'm doing is paper printmaking. However, Sometimes I do it on t-shirts or bags or things like that, usually for gifts. And it's fun because you can do so much with it. I truly believe printmaking is for anyone that wants to try a visual art skill because it's easy to achieve a good result, even if you don't think of yourself as an artist. So if you're remotely interested into it, I, w- I would say you should definitely do it. I think photography really translates as well. Yeah. I, I don't know. I Like, I'm always most artistic endeavors um when i see them like i always want to try them and i'm always interested in it but i've kind of gotten to the point where i'm just like i'm only gonna do like my things which is photography and custom framing Mm -hmm. and just try to be an observer of everything else because i feel like it's so hard to be good at something yeah (laughs) i mean i get that too and it's okay to like want to be good at certain things but also i feel like printmaking is that one thing that even if you're just starting out, it's easy to be really good at it really quickly. Uh, there's also ways to make it incredibly complex. Like you could have multi-layered prints. So like you have a carving that uh, is printed with four different plates that create one image. So not only do you have to make sure they all line up properly, you have to make sure they're inked up properly. And then you have to use the right paper and position it properly on the paper. So like there's a lot of ways you could screw it up and that's what makes it more um, advanced, I guess, in those ways for printmakers. But you don't you don't even have to start there. If you're someone that is interested in starting printmaking, you could carve one block, one picture. It could be line work, doesn't have to be shaded in and you ink it up and you have like something really beautiful afterwards. So I might try that because I really like tangible things. Yes. And a lot of photography isn't tangible, especially now, like in the digital age, mm-hmm. um, which is why I've kind of like circled back to shooting a lot of film because it, it makes it a little bit more tangible. But yeah. that's kind of why I've always done um, my custom frames because it allows me to like build things and work with my hands and then print the photo and then put it in it. And yeah. I like taking a break from like all the digital stuff. Like it's great and the computer and everything's awesome, but it is nice to to do stuff with your hands. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like that's great for, um, do you have any shows or exhibitions coming up that you're going to be in over like the next few months? So I'm actually working on a project with my brother, Andrew Bratt. Um, I got a grant from Windsor Endowment for the Arts three years ago and with COVID things had been delayed. So we're finally working on that now. I don't have all the details shared online, so I don't want to share too, too much, but it's going to be coming up at the end of May. Uh, and the project is focused on, um, I would say like, Visual art, but also installation work. So some sculptural and interactive pieces in the gallery. It's going to be at Art Speak Gallery in Walkerville. Uh, the dates will be announced, but it's going to be the end of May. Cool. That'll be super fun. Yeah. I'll definitely look forward to hearing from that. Mm-hmm. When you get it going, send it to me. Um, For sure. 
<coughs> everything for the podcast should be up and going by then. Yeah. When we're recording this, this has not been announced and nobody knows about it yet. Yeah. Um, Christina's the second guest. So, yeah. Uh, maybe we'll share it on the socials and everything. Yeah. If I have everything going, sure. that'll be super cool. Um, maybe that'll be close to the time that you announced that will be close to the time that this episode comes yeah. out. So that'll be perfect. Cool. Um, okay, sweet. So art speed gallery. Um, well, let's get into galleries then. So you work at Art Windsor Essex, yes, I which do. used to be called the Art Gallery of Windsor. Yeah. Um, when did they change the name? Uh, early or sorry, end of 2022, <coughs> I believe. So, uh, not too long ago within the last year or so, um, they haven't done a rebrand, I don't think, at all in, in their time, and they're over 70 years, and uh, it, it was just time. There's been a lot of change that's happened in the city in arts and culture, not just at Art Windsor Essex, but I think for a lot of the granting services or the little galleries and artist-run centers and even just artists in general and what they were able to do during COVID and after COVID. Um, but I think people are just more interested in trying something new and being open to new possibilities. And I think that's kind of what Art Windsor Essex is doing now, especially with the rebrand. Yeah, no, it's super cool. I was just there a few weeks ago. Everything in there is really nice. And they're working on the third floor, I think, was closed. Uh, the second floor. So second they just floor. opened uh, three different exhibitions on the second floor. And then they do have some exhibitions that opened up in February on the third floor. So everything's pretty well brand new within the last like month and a half. Um, and then there will be a changeover in June as well. Okay, cool. So you do the prep there, mm -hmm. um, which it says on your Instagram bio. Yeah. Um, what does that entail and how long have you been doing that for? Yeah, so my official title is like I'm a, a preparator and what a preparator does is you help install and deinstall the exhibitions at the gallery. Uh, we do some work in the wood shop and matting and framing to set up works that are shipped to us that don't come in frames. Um, really, we just help the artists and the curators install the work and realize their vision. That's like the short form of it. I do drive like a scissor lift around. Sometimes I'm just painting the walls. Other times we are taking in shipments of like large crates from the loading bay, things like that. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. Sorry, we had to take a quick break for a second. Um, so yeah, we were talking about matting and framing and all that stuff and how you got involved with that. Um, so how is the process there? Because I don't have any formal training with framing mm -hmm. at all. Uh, I started doing it myself because I wanted to frame my work. And then over the years, I've just built more and more frames and gotten in like different processes, like learning how to like mount work and use like matting and just making everything nice. But a lot of it is just like trial and error and figuring out what's best and kind of watching some videos and seeing stuff online. And it's almost been 10 years for me. And, um, oh, there's still so much to learn. Oh yeah. With everything. How, Definitely. like, how is it? Is it fun? Do you like it over there? Yeah, I do. I really love the job. It's one of the best like arts and culture jobs I've had in the last five years for sure. Um, I didn't have any formal training for matting and framing when I started. I was an intern at the gallery when I was in my BFA, and then there was a job that opened up, and it just happened to work out. Um, I don't do a ton of the framing, and one of the good things that I enjoy, because it, it feels like a stepping stone. Like I get to learn on the job all the time. It's always something new that's happening. It's not boring. There's something great to learn every single time that I work there. Um, and they sometimes have ready-made frames. So a lot of it is like prints or drawings or photographs that get shipped in and we're able to like figure out the sizing and, and cut the mats and put them in the frame. So I feel like I do more mat cutting than I do like actual frame making per se, but they do have the head preparator there. That's Steven Nilsson. And he's been there, I'd say, I think over 10 years now. And he does a lot of really great work making frames. He does it himself as well, like outside of the gallery. 
Um, there's just so much to learn all the time. So I had no experience going into it, something I get to learn still a lot of the time. I feel like the mat cutting was a good experience for me personally in case I ever want to sell my own work and I can just go buy mat board and cut it at home. Um, but yeah, other than that, I also really enjoy, I get to drive a scissor lift around when we do lighting. <laughs> That's something I didn't expect when I took the job at the beginning and I've been there since 2017. So it's been about six years almost, which is crazy. Time is going by super fast. Yeah, COVID um, was like a, a speed boost. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> but driving the scissor lift around is one of my favorites. Just something fun to do, <laughs> yeah. a weird skill I never expected I'd have. And lighting's really cool, and it really makes the space what it is when you go to an art show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, so when you do the mat cutting, do you do it by hand, or do you guys have a, a machine with like a hydraulic press? Uh, by hand. So it's just like a hand mat cutter, but it's probably about four feet, five feet long. That's so, cool. Yeah, pretty pretty big. So that's actually one thing that I've never really done is mat cutting. Um, so ever pretty much ever since I started my career, I get all my prints done locally um, at Suter's Photography on oh, Tecumseh cool. Road nice. by John. He prints everything for me. Um, I go in there and I'll sit with him sometimes when we print stuff. Um, but it's been like almost 10 years. So like everything's pretty dialed between uh, like with our working relationship. But he has a mat cutter um, with like an air compressor. And you do it up on the computer and you put in your size and it just like ch -ch -ch, and it cuts it all out perfectly. So I've never had to cut because I just do it there. Yeah. Um, and it's super nice. But I know that there is like the tools and I would like to try it, but it's really easy to do it there. So yeah, no, that's really cool if you have that kind of hookup too, because the one thing I find uh, the if you do like really, really small mats, it becomes complicated. If you do really, really big mats, it becomes complicated. So it's more like the middle ground that makes you feel comfortable if you're not doing it all the time. Um, so I, I think that would actually be really helpful if someone wanted to start learning how to cutting their own stuff, like starting with a machine like that and seeing how the whole process works and understanding the math that goes behind it would be a great stepping stone to start cutting your own. Yeah, it's a lot. Do you guys mount work there too? Yeah, so some of that we mount. Some of it... Um, I would say like really cool. Hopefully this isn't like a secret of the trade, but uh, anything that's in the permanent collection already has its own mat. And then they have this cool little outer mat that like folds over onto the piece and protects it while it's in the vault over at the gallery. So you can always like pull the piece out, fold the other mat behind it, and then you have the artwork ready matted and you just find the corresponding frame size to go with it. So like everything is ready to hang if they wanted to curate a hundred piece show filled with like a ton of prints that are in the collection you could do it relatively easily and everything's ready so that's the kind of organization I strive to have I feel like I, I don't really have that down yet in my own personal stuff but it'd be cool to do yeah that's super cool um okay so I kind of want to move on to the tiny art vending machine sure. but first I want to go into like it's almost summer. Um, markets are starting up and stuff like that. Have you ever done a booth at a market as you, on your own as a solo artist, like with your personal work? Hmm, I think I did a booth. It was a while ago. I was probably in my last year of university or just out of university. Uh, I did one in Kingsville at one of the markets. It was a really good experience. Uh, I don't remember the name of the market. I think it was just a general like outdoor street festivals type thing. Um, and it was near the Leamington Arts Center. And that was a really cool experience because there was a lot of food stuff going on out there too. I think that really makes the experience like artisans that are there and street performers and food and all of that together is what really makes a festival successful because there's for something sure. for everybody. Um, I like the experience. 
It's so much setup. Oh my gosh. I hope people really appreciate when those markets happen because everyone there is working super hard to put things together. So I found that really tough and like you have to be very organized and have everything put together. So, and the weather is just really unpredictable too. Yeah, the wind can like really, you got to be prepared for wind. If any artists are listening to this that haven't done a booth yet, the biggest thing is like, it it could be windy, especially when you're in like a field or somewhere and yeah. your stuff will blow around and you need to be prepared for it not to blow around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I learned that the hard way. And like, it is so much work. I started doing booths. Um, I think I did the Walkerville Night Market when it used to be on the Willstead parking lot. Um, back in 2016, I started with booths and I did them a lot. That's kind of how I started my business, um, getting my name out there. Like 2016, 17, 18, I did booths like crazy. 2019 I didn't do too many and then COVID came and then there was none and I'm getting back into it this year actually Um, I'm kind of redoing my booth setup because it's been so long but the biggest thing for me um, with redoing my setup right now um, with a little bit more experience is have everything be able to get up within like 45 minutes so like symbol is better people like don't build a crazy wall like people build like big like wooden walls you need like trucks to get it there and it's annoying like just like keep it simple people are gonna look at your work more than your booth so just like fold up tables you know that's like i don't know that that's what i think's best for me um because even i do the wedding show at uh, the kaboto club and people are in there for like six hours setting up and i'm in there like 30 minutes and Whoa, it's the great. best. Yeah, you got to go. You got to go quick. <laughs> yeah. But um, so anyway, back to booths and all that stuff. You started the tiny air vending machine, which is super cool. Well, you started that about a year ago. Yeah, it'll be a year coming up on June 18th. So first, how did you get the idea to do that? And uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I've seen tiny air vending machines before. Like it's not a new concept. I don't want anyone to think like I think I've coined this idea. They're everywhere. They're very cool. And everyone's been doing them differently. I'd say uh, I heard about them online five, six, seven years ago. But I went to Las Vegas about three or four years ago. And I saw some of the cigarette vending machines that had been converted into tiny air vending machines. And I just thought they were so cool. They were on the Vegas Strip and a lot of the hotels and like little boutiques and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, I, you kind of unexpect it. You, you don't expect it in a place like this. Um, I, I was just going there to like grab a nice meal or like go see a show in Vegas. And I was like, what is this weird little machine here? What's going on? So I was pleasantly surprised to find one in person. I bought some art from it, obviously. Um, and I was just happy to like learn about someone new that I probably wouldn't have found online. It was just a chance to meet somebody and like see what their work is and then look them up on Instagram or see what their website's like and check it out. Um, and then after that, I was like, man, Windsor needs a tiny art vending machine project. This would be really cool. But I didn't want to approach it as having a gallery that's like a profit gallery or something, uh, I, I don't know. Sorry, I'm getting lost in this question again. Maybe I should restart from that point. Is no, that you're okay? fine. You're fine. You can just keep going. Okay. So, so yeah, like you, you thought Windsor needed a tinier vending machine. Um, and then did you find the machine before or after? Because I know you got the grant for the machine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, did you find the machine before or after you got the grant? And how did that process go? Was it hard to find a machine? Yeah. So I, I the idea had been in my head for about a year, year and a half, that like I want to apply for a grant and start a vending machine project. That's where it started. And then uh, when, when I applied for the grant, I had an idea of what kind of machine I wanted in mind when I sent it in. And 
Then when I was successful and got the money, I was like, okay, great. I'm going to go buy one of these. And I did not realize that a lot of the machines were on back order because of everything. So like getting them shipped into Canada, it was going to take up to like four months. Mm. And at that point I was like, no, I want to start this summer and like have it for festivals and outdoors and all this stuff. So I just started looking at Facebook Marketplace to see if I'd get lucky. And the one that I have was from someone in Vaughn. So he had a candy store up in Wasaga Beach. He had no room. He already had three or four vending machines and he was getting rid of it. And I was like, hey, can I drive up and get this? And I had it within like three days. So it was not the one I, I not the vending machine I envisioned, but I feel like it was a way better option and things turned out even better than I could have hoped. Yeah, that's super cool. You were around like crazy last year. Yeah. Uh, lots of different shows, right? Well, see, this might come out in a few weeks. Where are you? Do you do it like month to month or do you just like, oh, this show's a week. I'm going to do it for a week. And then the next one's a month. I'll do it for a month. Is that kind of how you do it? So it started off with the idea that I'd go to uh, anywhere that would really like have me and it could be any length of time. So I'd pop up for a day. If someone was only allowing me for a day, I'd pop up for two weeks if someone wanted it for two weeks. Um, And that was a really good way to start because I had been able to see so many places. So it was outside at Cafe Amore on the Ottawa Street Market. Um, Then it went to Wolf and Rebel. And those were like short-term pop-ups. And then I talked to Lauren Potvin, who owns Shop a Bunch. And she was super great and very interested in the project. And she was like, can I have it for a couple months? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, why not? Let's see where this goes. And it ended up being in Ford City for Dropped on Drillard. So I feel like my intention was to pop up as little or as long as anyone wanted. But now during the winter time when it's harder to go to markets and things like that and people aren't out as much, I did start doing the long process of having them for about a month at different places and it's kind of been nice I have to say so I'm hoping to kind of teeter back and forth between those two methods if people only want it for a certain amount of time that's fine but I hope to have it at least for like two weeks at each location because then it's more time for people to come in and explore that business too and that's an important aspect of the project for me yeah that's super cool yeah it brings people into local businesses and it's got local artists it's just like a big snowball effect mm-hmm. um i was happy that you put it in the show um i helped throw with pressure drop in the in, at christmas time yeah. even though it was only one day did you keep it there for just that day or did you keep it there longer i ended up leaving it for the whole month so it oh, was cool. really cool and thanks so much for inviting me to be part of that i that's exactly the kind of thing i was hoping that this project would transform into so i was very happy to be involved and all the other artists that were involved were super talented so it was nice to see it all together yeah for sure um i when i throw like shows and stuff like that i'm always looking for like little things to incorporate especially if they're like easier to incorporate so like i'll probably be asking you a lot for like most of my shows because it's not like even if like even if you're busy you can still have it in Mm -hmm. you don't have to like work it like i've had coffee vendors in shows before and i love doing it and it's awesome but like they have to set up their whole booth and they have to work it all night and if they already have plans or if they have like another commitment so the vending machine is super and it can stay there the whole month with the art yeah and you don't have to like be with it right because you have your little bin that they that the balls go in right when Mm -hmm. they're empty totally do a lot of people like try to keep those or do you usually get them back it's funny i didn't think of the recycling program uh until like i don't know after i got the grant i was like okay I have this kind of abstract idea. It's not totally fleshed out. I don't know if this is going to work. People are going to want to keep them. I keep hearing like they look like pokeballs. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, everyone's going to want to keep it. No one's going to want to donate it back. But doing the recycling program and having them enter into a contest, I don't know if that was the reason or people are just super nice or what, but I've gotten 90% of them back. 
That's good. Yeah, it's great. It's great for like keeping the cost down too, because this is really just a community initiative. It's not like some for-profit thing, right? So 100% of the proceeds go back into the project. I'm not taking a cut. If I get a grant, then maybe I get a curatorial fee, but otherwise like I just want artists to get connected and sell their work. So it's been really cool. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, when I first, when I did, when I got my first one, I was like, I saw that you had the thing and it was like, I was like, does she have to like incentive people like to put this back in? Cause I saw you did the contest mm -hmm. and I'm like, I would just put it back in anyway. Cause yeah. like, yeah, you know, obviously it, you're not, obviously you're not like you're doing it for the artist and mm -hmm. for the community. So yeah, if you guys get one of those, make sure you recycle the, the ball that comes in. Yeah. So how many, how many do you have in there at a time? Let's say like you go set it up for a show and you just filled it up or whatever. Uh, so I think it can fit up to 150 total. I, to be honest though, it's a used machine. It's older. You can't even buy this machine anymore in Canada. I really did get lucky when I found it. Um, so it, it needs some work, some TLC. I've fixed it up a couple of times. I usually put in about 80 or 90 just to make sure it functions properly because the weight of them, right, they weren't really meant for, like, different types of artwork. So if I'm putting sculptures in it, it might be a little heavier than the toys that are, like, meant to go in a vending machine, things like that. So I'm trying to be strategic about it, but I don't mind because it gives me an opportunity to go back to each location and, like, do a refill. Yep. And uh, I think it's nice, too. A lot of people are interested, and uh, I don't know. Even if it looks half full, sometimes people are like, oh, I got to go, and I got to make sure I get my tiny art before it leaves. And it's like, no, I have more. I can fill in more. There's tons of artwork that's still here that needs to be sold. Um, how do you go about picking the artist for it? Like how many do you, do you have like these 20 are in right now when they're out, you go back to them or do you go to new people? So the plan is every artist gets commissioned once and that's it theoretically for now anyway. Um, my whole thing has been like, I needed an outlet for my own curatorial practice. I'm, I'm sure any type of artist, not necessarily just a visual artist can understand like, you love doing community projects and you want to do all these other projects too. Or maybe you have an idea and you apply for a grant. But some things are like really slim, right? You apply and you get these rejection letters and there's nothing wrong with that. But eventually, sometimes you realize you got to make your own project. And so the Tiny Art Vending Machine not only was my way to like interact with the community and give artists another opportunity, I got to do a curatorial project and I could find the artist myself, see whose work that I really resonate with that I want to share with everyone else. Or I could learn about a new artist, word of mouth from some artists that have been in the machine already. So that's happened to me a couple of times. Um, so really it's like my time to curate something for myself based on my own taste. Um, and then also getting to know people in the community in a fun way. Yeah. And everything snowballs, like yeah. everything you do, even if it's like something like that, like you didn't do that for money or for your own work but it helps you in in so many different ways like I didn't know you and then I saw the vending machine and then I found you and then I found your work and then I and then you were in the locals only show at fog personally without the vending machine mm -hmm. see so like so many little things come out of it like totally and I'm sure like a million other things have come out of it that's why I like doing things like especially with this podcast I'm hoping um I'm hoping that this podcast kind of brings a lot of local artists into you know just gives them some more recognition maybe helps them out or just even if even if they already have a really big following maybe they get you know 10 more people following them mm -hmm. and, and checking out their work or a couple extra people at their shows and it's just it's nice to like all support each other and kind of help everything out and that vending machine is really cool because you have all these artists that are a part of it which i'm sure when they're in the machine like they're sharing stuff too, right? And yeah. getting it out to like their followers and fans and 
totally. it just kind of helps like that. Hundred percent, and I—that's where I do think there's like a very similar, similar nature to like what you're trying to do with this podcast and what the vending machine's trying to do. Um, it's just engaging people in art. Artists can do that on their own, of course, but this is a more intimate way to get to know somebody. And it's sometimes you learn something about someone you don't expect. So if someone comes up to the vending machine and they get a capsule from an artist they don't know, that's a new connection that's made. Or if someone listens to your podcast and it's from an artist or creator in the city that they don't already know about, then that's another connection that's made. So I agree. I think the projects all go hand in hand. And it's really nice to just connect with everyone else that's doing creative endeavors. Yeah, like I find in Windsor especially, like it's really important that like we work together and do all kinds of things together like this um, because yeah, just like it's a small city, but it is still big. Like there's in Windsor, Essex County, there's still a lot of people mm -hmm. and helping each other, like doing things together and then getting people that follow my work. Now we're going to check you out and then people that follow your work are going to check me out and then we're just going to, you know, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I find working as a team with everybody is definitely is definitely the best way to do it. Totally. So for the vending machine, um, where is it going to be? Do you know where it's going to be in like May, June? So right now it's at uh, Vintage Haven and that's on Ottawa Street and it's going to be there until May 6th. So beginning of May, it'll still be there. The following week, it's going to be at a location in Emeryville. That's all I'm going to say right now. I don't want to tell anyone too much, but I do know where it's going. Uh, me saying the location of that, you might already know. I'm going to tell you it's a food stop. So, okay. So that's it for now. And then after that, I'm hoping to get more into the county. So hopefully back out into Leamington, Kingsville area, uh, maybe at one of the wineries. I'm not going to tell you exactly which one either. <laughs> and then it's going to be going to LaSalle to a cool little local spot. That's cool. Yeah. Um, the place it's in till the 6th, what was that called again? Uh, Vintage Haven. Is that a new place or has that been around for a while? Uh, they've been around for 16 months. I was just talking to Rachel about it. So <laughs> she told me 16 months they had been on Ottawa Street. Um, I think she started her business online, but now it's something that she got a brick and mortar for. It's across from Cafe Amore, if anybody knows where that is. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That's super cool. Um, okay, sweet. So I want to kind of get back into... Um, I guess your personal work. Sure. Do you have any shows or exhibitions that you're going to be putting your stuff in coming up? Yeah. So the project that I am doing at ArtSpeak will be my work and my brother's work. Um, a lot of it's those collaborative installations. It's something that like I started doing sound recordings and field recordings in my fourth year of my BFA. And it's something I was always interested in trying to think of ways to like, what does sound mean to a visual artist or what can sound be even if you're not actually hearing it, maybe you're just seeing it. And those are the kinds of like fun, funky questions I was asking myself when I was exploring my practice. So that's very much the inspiration for what this work is going to be. Um, and then after that, I have been applying to do a personal show of some of my printmaking and watercolor work. I don't have anything fully scheduled yet, but I've been wanting to branch off of a curatorial project I did last summer. It was titled Artist Something Else. And it's just talking about the notion of like, what does it mean when you're an artist, but you have another identity? whether it's as a creator or as someone who's being an artist part-time and maybe you work at a coffee shop or maybe you work at a grocery store or maybe you're an investment banker. I really don't know. Like being that artist and then being that something else and how does it affect your practice and what does it mean to you when you do get to share your work in those environments or outside those environments? So 
this printmaking work and this watercolor work is definitely going to touch on those pieces. And it's mostly from photos I've taken that have become a scrapbook of the last five years of being a preparator and working in arts and culture roles and transforming those photos and documentation that I've taken into those paintings and those prints. That's super cool. Uh, I'm excited to see some of that. Yeah. What does your brother do in terms of art? Yeah, so my brother, he started as a musician. Um, he's still a musician now, but I would say he's leaning more towards like the visual arts realm. Uh, he went to Concordia and just finished his degree like two years ago in sound engineering. So he's mostly like a sound and installation artist, I'd say as well. And we've always supported each other's initiatives, even though he was more music and I was more visual arts, but we always try to find ways to like collaborate together too. So this was one really concrete way to do it because we had grant funding to back the project. So um, we've been meeting like two or three times a week for the last month and a half or so to really refine and work on this project and get it ready for May. Um, but ultimately I think he's gonna look around and try and apply for his own projects as well too. But right now he's a developer. He works for Unbounce. It's like a company out of BC. Oh, that's cool. So for him, artists, something else is like musician slash visual artist slash um, coder, which oh. is interesting, you know, like I think that'll influence his practice where his practice also influences what he does for a day job. Yeah, for sure. Um, what is, what is your day job? My day job. So I, mostly I've been very, very fortunate and very privileged to be in arts and culture roles. Um, I was at Artsite Inc. as their programming coordinator for the last two years. I did just finish my contract up with them, but ultimately I was helping organize the exhibitions, the promotion of the exhibitions, the setup, uh, install and deinstall the exhibitions. I'm uh, in between right now. I'm doing a lot of contract and commission work for myself and my own projects. And I'm still part-time as a preparator over at Art Windsor-Essex. So cool. like mostly arts and culture around the board, which again, I really acknowledge it's a privilege. Not, it doesn't happen for everybody. Yeah, for sure. But lots of hard work though. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. Got to yes. be always like hustling. You have yeah, to be yeah, yeah. creative to find the next thing. Totally. Um, so no, that's really cool. Um, your show, it's at Artspeak, right? With you yep. and your brother. How, so y you were saying like, visually interpreting or visually interpreting sound mm -hmm. like how are you guys like what's the show going to look like what are you guys going to do in there yeah so I I can talk about two like the very specific concepts so when I applied for that grant through Windsor Endowment for the Arts the whole point was to focus on Windsor Essex so highlighting the way that sound makes up our environment so we went out there's a lot of field recordings or even studying and like just going to these different places it could be galleries or bars or cafes or out into like Ojibwe or Lakeside Park or like really just exploring all over Windsor-Essex paying attention to what the soundscape is like and then finding ways to highlight those sounds and why it's why it's important about like where we live and where we are and what our region really sounds like so uh, there's a lot of individual sculptures that you can interact with, things that you'll literally see that you can pick up, uh, things that m make sounds in the gallery. Uh, there's going to be some projection elements with light, but ultimately think of all your favorite places and the things that make up what Windsor-Essex is and turn those into sculptures that you can actually touch in a gallery space, which I think is cool. And are they all going to make sound? Uh, not everything will make sound, but it will be inspired by and like highlight what that sound is. I'd, I'd say okay. majority of them do have some sort of sound emitting uh, component to it, but some of it's going to be mixed sound, like from the recordings we've actually grabbed in Windsor-Essex. Uh, 
That's yeah. super. So it's very interactive. Yes. Yes. How long, how long, I don't know if you said, I, I might've missed it. How long are you going to be there for? It'll be on for a week, but we're also going to host like three evenings because it's a sound based exhibition. It's tricky. Like you don't want to host an opening night because if there's too many people in there, you don't really get to enjoy the actual artwork itself in this case. Right. Yeah. So on like probably a Tuesday evening, Wednesday evening, and like a Friday evening. We'll have open hours so people can come anytime. It's cool if you just want to stop in and interact with the pieces. It doesn't have to be this whole like evening of arts per se. Um, just come in and see what you think and tell us too. Yeah, no, that's super cool. I definitely want to check that out. Are you guys going to, so once you're done there at Artspeak, do you want to move that project and like kind of do it a couple different times, a couple different places? It would be cool to do different iterations of them. Um, I don't know. There's no particular plan for it yet, but I, I'd totally be open to that. And I think my brother would be too. So I could see it happening. Um, I did do a residency in 2019. I was on Toronto Island for two weeks in the middle of the winter and I brought my field recorder there and took a bunch of sound recordings. So when I started my BFA, I was doing different recordings, um, of like classical music and interpreting those visually and then that project turned into the project at Toronto Island when I did the residency. And it was a lot of like ambient soundscapes of the island and downtown Toronto. And then I ended up getting this grant through WIA. So now we're doing a focus on like Windsor-Essex region. So I feel like in a way the project's changed a lot, but there has been different focuses. But it'd be cool to even just do this project at different galleries or different spaces in Windsor-Essex so everyone has access to it. Yeah, that'd be like, that's what I was thinking when I heard it. I'm like, you guys can't just do that only for a couple days. I think mm -hmm. that you should like carry that out. Yeah. Do you have to be there every time it's going on to like show people how to do things or can people go when you're not there and figure it out? People will be able to go throughout the week during the gallery's open hours. Um, a lot of it we're trying to automate so that way it's easy for the gallery staff to manage too because I am always trying to make things simple, especially with my background as a preparator. Now I know like what it takes to make artwork like viable for the uh, public to interact with. Yeah. Um, trying to make it easy so that way it's not a huge burden or a hassle for anyone. And so the artwork can be at its best and performing its best at all times. So people will be able to go in outside of those hours. And that's a good time too, because less people will be in there and you can really stay as long as you want and interact with them. But it's kind of nice. There is one piece that is going to have like a live component. So it would be cool to come during the hours that like some people might be coming by because you'll be able to experience it live. Yeah, that's super cool. I like that you do so many different things. It's good. It does. It it probably keeps you like fresh, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't get burnt out on like one specific medium. Totally. Yeah. Sometimes I find that I get burnt out on like certain aspects of photography, but there's so many different like branches of it that mm -hmm. I try to, um, like if I'm burnt out on like one part, I'll do, I don't really like leave photography, but I do go to like a different um, I don't know, creative part of it and kind of like do something else yeah. just cause like you got to switch things up a little bit. Totally. And do you think it's, or go, go, go. Do you have a favorite part of photography? One that doesn't burn you out or something you always return to? I know you're talking about film a little bit, so I don't know. Maybe that's it for you. Um, like I do get burnt out sometimes. I find like the biggest thing when you get burnt out is like you just do it anyway. Yeah. And if it's something that you really love, it usually comes back within mm -hmm. like you force yourself to do it for, I don't know, a couple minutes and then you're right back into it. Yeah. But like a favorite part, I don't know. Um, I love it all. I, I really like going out and actually shooting. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I don't shoot here anymore. Um, in Windsor, I haven't really made too much personal work here in a couple years now. It's all traveling. 
Um, so it's when I'm somewhere else, I'll go somewhere for a week and I'll just shoot like crazy, like hundreds of, if I'm shooting film, hundreds of photos, I'm shooting digital, thousands of photos. And then I come back and then I work on those photos only like editing them getting them out, printing them, framing them. That's what I do when I'm in Windsor. So it's kind of nice because like when I go somewhere, I'm like, I really want to shoot cause I haven't in a couple months since the last one. And then when I'm here, um, I can do like the editing stuff and if that starts to like get boring. Then I can go like print a few, build a couple frames back to the editing. So I just, I try to bounce around as much as I can. Yeah. I feel like you have a really good process like down. It's like, okay, if there's this problem, I'm going to go here and like reinvigorate my creative self. And that's very cool. Didn't you just go on a trip too? Yes, I did. Uh, we just got back on Saturday. Cool. Uh, out west of Banff. Nice. Um, I was there once already, but I shot digital there. Uh, this time I exclusively shot film. I didn't take one digital picture. I've never shot landscapes like that on film before, actually. I've always kind of shot that stuff on digital. So it was like totally, I was like, you know, I'm just going to risk it. I'm sitting on a lot of photos right now. So I'm not feeling like too desperate on like stuff I have to put out. Um, Like coming out of COVID, I was like really desperate. Like I needed, I needed photos. Mm -hmm. But right now I'm like, I got a couple of projects on the go so I could take that risk. Um, All the photos I actually mailed off to the lab this morning. Cool. So in about 10 or 11 days, I'll get the uh christmas morning feeling email and i'll check them out um i think they'll be cool yeah i hope that they'll be cool i shot so much i shot 11 rolls so oh my gosh that is a lot (laughs) yeah that was only like seven days of shooting yeah yeah so yeah 11 rolls yeah that's kind of a lot that is a lot that's cool though and like um i don't know if this ever happens it probably does i'm not super well versed in photography so please uh, let me know if i'm wrong is there a chance like some of them won't turn out oh, like yeah. quite a bit, right? Yes, okay. Like a very high chance. Oh, okay. <laughs> because um, like, okay, so they don't make film cameras anymore. Yeah. Um, Leica. Have you heard of Leica? Yes. It's it, the film company mm-hmm. out of Germany. Yep. Very like high end, like they're like, the, you know, like the, the holy all gr- end all. Yeah. Yes. Of cameras. Um, very expensive. So they just, they made a camera from 1982 I think to 2002, I could be wrong a couple years there. Um, but it's their most popular film camera and it's really gone up in popularity like the last four years and they cool. just remade it. Oh, there, there was like three major issues with it. But like, besides that, it was perfect. They yeah. fixed those couple issues and then put it out. They just started selling it like a month or two ago. Um, so that is a brand new film camera you can buy. But besides that, they're all old. So like, yeah, the camera could break mid use. Because, like, the ones I shoot with are, like, fairly newer ones. Like, they're late 90s, my main ones. But that's still over 30 years old. Or, sorry, almost 30 years old. Um, so, like, that could break, ruin a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, the film's in the mail right now. Yeah. What if something happens to it in that's the mail? True. What if it gets, like, lost or damaged? Oh, my gosh. When you fly with film, a lot of people don't know that it can't go through the x-ray. Oh. If it goes through the x-ray, it'll get exposed some or it'll get all muddy it could so it's mostly with higher iso films so they usually say like 800 and above can get messed up but some um and the average film speed people shoot at is 400 and they say that that's probably okay to go through but i've heard lots of stories where it was fine the pictures came out but they were like muddy Mm-hmm. they were like a little like dark or like weird because okay. a lot of times when your bags on that thing I don't know if you've watched at an airport, but they'll put it back and through the x-ray a couple times sometimes. Right. So now it just got x-rayed like three times and now it's all messed up. So when you're at the airport, you have to put it all in like a separate bin in that hectic zoo and find an agent. Say, I need this hand checked. They have to be nice. 
mm-hmm. take it over yeah. and do it for you. And I've never had an issue except for actually on this most recent trip. Oh, I'm trip. so sorry I brought it up. So, <laughs> no, it's all good. So they said, um, so I was bringing, like I said, I really only shoot when I travel. So I brought three film cameras and all three had rolls about half shot from when I was in California a few months ago. And she said, we can hand check your film rolls, but I won't hand check the camera bodies. You have to put them through the x-ray. I said, no, there's, there's, there's photos on it. And I argued with her for like 20 minutes and she finally said fine and, and hand checked it. Um, I've never had that issue before. They've always done it, but like worst case scenario, I was just going to like blank fire that roll and then take the film out, have her hand check it, and then put the camera through with nothing in it. Mm-hmm. But like, film is really, really expensive. Yeah. And I did. I would have burned like sixty photos between the three rolls. Yeah. And it's like uh, maybe a buck and a half a picture now. Yeah. So, but yeah, so something can go wrong there at the lab. They could screw it up. Uh, so everything's dicey, is what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yes. my goodness. Or like, yeah, there's like so many different unknowns. Sometimes things can just go wrong. You don't even know. Yeah. But I, I use Downtown Camera in Toronto. They've been great. They've never screwed up a roll of my film before. Everything's been like perfect coming out of there. So hopefully nothing goes wrong. But yeah, it's always super nerve wracking. Like I spent the whole week working on this stuff, and it could just be gone. You could never see it. Yeah. Okay. So then you must like really, really love it to be taking those chances all the time, right? You're making the emotional investment, financial investment, like what keeps you coming back to it? I don't know. So actually when we got back a couple of days ago, like I've had to go work. So I've been using my digital camera for like the last three days all day. Yeah. And I'm like, man, like, why am I shooting film? Like, this is so nice, but it's <laughs> just like, I don't know on digital. It's a, com- it's a, it's a computer generated image. And on film, it's like, well, it's science, it's chemistry. And it's like a painting. Mm-hmm. like the photo looks like it was kind of like painted on there not like pixelated on okay. there and it was like it was exposed to this light sensitive piece of film and then it went through a process with different chemicals and timings and agitations and then you got a negative and it's real and there's like all these imperfections in it but the imperfections are real they're not fake like you could make fake imperfections on a digital photo but on a film photo, it's just, it's just different. Mm-hmm. And all the colors and the tones are just perfect. And no matter how good you are in like Lightroom or Photoshop, you can't, you can't replicate those yeah. tones. No, that's true. So I don't know. I just, the last couple of projects that I've shot on film, I've loved so much that I'm sticking with it for a little bit. Good. And we'll see how it goes, but I'm not like against one or the other. I'll totally go back to digital. Yeah, of course. Flip and flop, swap, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. So yeah. That's great. It's good to be able to explore different mediums. And like, I don't know, there was a funny thing going back to the art school. I feel like you're always told to like pick your lane, stay in your lane, get really, really great at this one thing, or like at least know everything about it before you move to the next thing. And uh, I think there's merit to that, of course. But if you wait too long, then you sometimes lose opportunities to explore those those other aspects of art. So it's nice that you're able to go back and forth between the medium. Yeah, and you'll never learn everything about any medium. Yeah. Like, think about something that you've been doing for maybe, like, 10 years, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Think about how much you've even just changed what you thought you knew about it. Right. And how much you're still learning. It's like, I don't know, for me, like, I've been doing photography for 10 years. I forgot more yeah things than you know an average person will ever even know <laughs> and my ideas like things that I thought should be one way are now the other way and the thought process is always changing like that's that's another thing is too like when you jump into something 
you can you can try new things and you don't have to feel like everybody knows everything about it because things are always changing. Yeah, absolutely. And there's room to grow in whatever you do. Definitely. The worst thing is thinking that you know everything about something. Mm-hmm. That's when you're going to stop making good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. get stuck and you're not open to change and it makes you lose sight of all the possibilities of ways to improve and get better. Yeah. You always got to be looking for improvement. That's what I find too. Mm-hmm. Like if everything I've, even my favorite thing that I've ever made could be better. Yeah. And I think if you stop thinking like that, you'll stop making good work. I'm still like proud of that thing. That's the best thing I ever did. Yeah. And I'm not going to like beat myself up because it's not perfect, but mm-hmm. like also like it could be better yeah. in five years. I hope that I could do that again, but make it better. Cool. Yeah. That's a really great way to look at things. Um, so this is kind of circling back to things we talked about before you've brought up grants a lot. Yes. <laughs> um, and I know that, um, yeah, well, yeah, you brought up grants a lot and I know that you've gotten a few grants. So what are some of the best, cause a lot of people are probably gonna be wondering this. What are some of the best ways to find grants that fit or that tailor to you and how do you find your grants and what are some of your favorite grants you've gotten, I guess, that are still available? Yeah, totally. Okay. I'm like the poster child for arts culture heritage fund. Um, unofficially of course, but I just think it's a really cool program and it's nice that the city has that. I hope to see like an increase in funding that's available for the Arts Culture Heritage Fund. I think we are a little bit behind than some of the other municipalities in Ontario, of course, but like uh, ultimately great program. And it's nice that it's multidisciplinary. Like anyone that has an arts or culture project has to apply for the Arts, arts Culture Heritage Fund. You are limited. You have to be a resident of Windsor, but if you do a collaborative project and you apply with someone else that is a resident of Windsor, like that'll help you in that way, shape and form. But it's up to $5,000 for a project and it's local. So it's not you competing with people across Ontario or people across Canada or people internationally. Like you're only competing for those grant monies with people here. And I say competing lightly because... Everyone that gets them is usually like part of the community and wanting to help out with other projects. And there's ways to uh, share those resources too. But ultimately, like everyone should look at the Arts Culture Heritage Fund and see if it's a good fit for them. It's a great beginner grant too. It's not too stressful. Uh, They have an online form that you fill out. So you don't have to like format an entire document, even if you're not super confident in your writing skills. I think that's something that's a little bit different than some other places. So All the way, Arts Culture Heritage Fund, start there. You can learn a lot on the city's website. If you want help with grants somewhere locally that you can ask for assistance is the Arts Council Windsor and Region in Walkerville. That's actually like where Artspeak Gallery is attached to. Uh, The staff there is really incredible and they're very helpful. They'll look over your grant that you've written already and like give you some pointers. So that's really important. And it's a free resource if you're a member. Um, I don't know. Those are like two of the main local ones. Windsor Endowment for the Arts, they give out grants every two years. That's a grant that I've gotten. And I think that's cool because it's more of an awards grant. So not a ton of reporting that you have to do with it, like a little bit more freedom. But uh, that one's up to $3,000, I believe. And then you can start getting into some bigger grants like Ontario Arts Council or Canada Council for the, excuse me, Canada Council for the Arts Um Those are harder to get for sure. There's a lot of people that are applying and competing for them. But the really good thing is there's so many categories. So you could probably find find one that really fits for you. If you're a visual artist doing an independent project, there's a category for that. If you're a visual artist doing a community project, there's a uh, category for that. Uh, If you're 
a curator there's a category for that if you're a musician there's a category for that like there's there's all different categories really tailoring to who you are in Canada Council and Ontario Arts Council cool um yeah I'm sure that that's going to be really helpful for a lot of people especially the arts culture and heritage fund yeah like anybody from Windsor can apply for that you guys should definitely check it out um and you can do it twice a year yeah uh, what is it, February and July yeah usually sometimes it's August but basically winter and summer yeah so, yeah, if you guys are, if you never applied for a grant and you have a project idea, definitely look into that. It's really cool. Um, so, I guess, um, where can people find you? Where is the best place to follow, like, what you're doing and all your work? Yeah, um, I'd say I'm very active on Instagram the most. Um, so, if you want to find the Tiny Art Vending Machine, it's at Tiny Art Vending Machine. Super simple and straightforward, no punctuation. If you want to find my personal work, it's at Krizzle Pie, which is uh, K-R-I-Z-Z-L-E-P-I-E. Um, and then I do have a website as well, christinabratt.ca. Again, straightforward, simple, just my name. And that has a little bit of information on like everything I'm doing. So, if it's a project I'm curating or my own work or the Tiny Art Vending Machine, there's a page for everything on there. And if you're trying to reach out to me, uh, send me a DM on Instagram. I'm super responsive to that. Yes, that is how I first got in contact with yes. you. So, yeah, definitely the best way to reach out. Um, well, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, it was a great chat. I definitely would like to have you back on, you know, another time in the future um, to talk about, you know, what you're currently working on. Yeah. So thank you very much. For sure. Before you stop the recording, there was one thing I forgot to mention. I don't know if I should mention it now, just in case you want to use it. Um, the Tiny Art Vending Machine is going to be part of a conference that's coming up in May. Go, yeah, tell them. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Uh, so I'd say one of the next like cool things that's happening for the Tiny Art Vending Machine is that I was able to create a video, and it's going to be featured at a conference in Vancouver in May. The conference is from May 5th to 7th. It's called Big Pictures, and it's focusing on like murals, urban interventions, billboards, all sorts of projects that interact in cities and communities. So I was able to record a video. It, in, it included some video clips and documentation that were done by Justin Elliott, which is really awesome. And then I worked with Sophie Hinch, who's like a friend and artist of mine and also works at Art Windsor Essex. Um, and it's just talking about like me and some of the artists and the spinoff projects that have happened for those artists because they were part of the vending machine and really just why I love the project and what's important about it. So there's a video. It's going to be available online too. You don't have to just attend the conference. You'll be able to see it from May 5th to 7th. Okay. That's awesome. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I'm yeah. glad we got that in there. Um, so yeah, well, again, thank you very much for being on and uh, I look forward to seeing what you do this summer.